for us. Okay. Yes, sir. God, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. I'll be going to church, Lord. We just want you all have a good day today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for your oh, Thank you very much. Please turn your head books to number 44, please, and thank you. Number 44, all hail the power. Anyways, 
Um, and then we have the prayer breakfast coming up last Saturday of this month. So if you can be here, I'd love to have you here for that. And then soul winning Saturday at 9.30. Went out yesterday. We had one conversation. <laughs> so we did get to talk to one person. Every other house we went to was either posted no trespassing or uh, nobody came to the door. Even one person ran from the door. But they saw food standing out there. But that's okay. Um, but... Uh, we still had that one decent conversation. Mm -hmm. And then we went and saw Jesse afterwards and visited with him for a little bit. So that was good. And uh, he How said that doing? he's doing all right. He said that the, the cold has been really tough on his body. And the, especially when it's slippery because of his, you know, his handicap, he really has a hard time moving on the ice. So, um, you know, he, uh, and he's changed some things medically that he's trying to, kind of adjust and, and get accustomed to the new, new situation there. So keep him in your prayers. He says he is absolutely going to be back at church. And uh, he said he'd like to soon, but he might have to wait till the weather's a little bit more accommodating for his, his health. He said he's not really going out much. So anyways, um, keep him in your prayers. But it was good to see him and visit with him a little bit. So um, I think other than that, Pray, pray about this. I want to schedule a spring sometime soon or springtime um, revival meeting. And uh, we have Brother Jeff Baggert scheduled for May, but with his health right now, it just really doesn't look like that's likely going to happen this year. So um, he's, he's not walking yet. So, you know, for him to likely in three months be ready to come up here to preach a meeting is probably not real likely. Not to say God can't work a miracle. I don't want to take away from that. That's why I've been so hesitant to schedule something else. But I also just don't have complete peace yet about what to do for our spring for our spring meeting. So just keep those things in prayer. Uh, I'd like to schedule something. I just need wisdom on it. So, alright. I think that's all I have for announcements. God, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. Please God, bless the offering, Lord. Please God, bless the service, Lord. Please God, touch our hearts tonight, Lord. And uh, please help that pastor to preach well tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
have the opportunity I guess you say in the church house with God's people, God's church. The church is the people. This is simply the place that we meet. That works. Well, you know. So we are in Ephesians this morning, getting fancy and high tech, as high tech and fancy as I can get. I guess in Ephesians chapter number four. And this will probably, I don't necessarily always love the word evolve, but the use of this setup will likely evolve as I figure out better how to use it to help us um, to kind of follow along and get from the message what the Lord wants us to get. But we are Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. Why don't we go ahead and stand together out of respect for the reading of God's word, and then we will uh, pray after we read it, and then we'll be seated. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what it is that we will learn this morning in this passage that you had the Apostle Paul pen under inspiration of the Holy Ghost to the church at Ephesus, that the people that were a part of it might grow and mature and learn to live the life that you called them to live as a result of their salvation. And God, I pray you would apply your word to our hearts and to our minds today, Mm. that we would see exactly what it is that you want and expect from us as your children to live and behave as such. Lord, the way that you've called us to live and behave because we are your children, because we've been saved. Lord, I pray that you would apply uh, all these things to our hearts and minds today. I pray that you would work in our midst, that you'd meet with us, that you'd be present, that you'd be real, that you would stir our hearts and accomplish your will here today, Lord. I pray you'd be with those that are homesick, that are home dealing with situations or whatever it is that might be going on. Lord, I pray that you'd be with those that aren't here today. I pray that Uh, You'd comfort them, that you'd heal them, get them well so they can be with us again soon. Lord, we just thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. The only reason we're here and even considering what it is you have for us today is because of your son providing a way of salvation for us. And Father, we thank you for that. We just pray you'd meet with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So, hopefully that shows up well enough. Default uh, format, so I guess maybe I could have darkened up the font. It looks a little light now, but 
So an introduction, I find studying this passage and preparing to preach it, it's a pretty convicting, uh, pretty convicting text. Um, God is dealing with these saints, with these believers, in regards to the way they're living their lives. And that they ought to be living it a certain way. And we, we haven't covered a lot of detail, or we don't cover a lot of detail just yet in this passage on how we should be living. But we do cover some detail on how we should not be living. Uh, if you remember our theme for last year, and in uh, Ephesians 4.1, I have the reference there. It tells us to walk worthy. In verse 1, it said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech ye, uh, you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And what is that? Well, the vocation is the Christian life. We've been called to live a Christian life. We've been called to serve God, to glorify God with our whole heart and our whole life. And we're given some instruction now, a little later in the text, after dealing specifically with unity in the church and being a part of the church, now we're dealing with our personal behavior, our personal walk, the way that we should be. And this morning, as I said already, we're dealing with things we shouldn't do. Next week, we'll deal with, well, I guess kind of things we shouldn't do, but in con uh, contrast, what we should do. I don't have the mic on, do I? But I guess I got excited. So, anyways, this passage teaches us how we should not walk. It teaches us that there should be a change, that there should be a difference in us after trusting Christ as our Savior. And we'll go over that some more as we get going here. So, first off, verses 17 through 19. Well, actually, let's first look at Ephesians 2.2. 2. I might be getting ahead here, but it says... Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So, back in our, our primary verses here, verses 17, let's just read verse 17. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. So, the statements that were about to be made, that are about to be made in this passage of Scripture we have this morning, they were given to Paul by the Lord to give instruction to these Gentile believers. Ephesus, modern-day Ephesus, well, not modern-day Ephesus, ancient Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. So it's a neighboring country to Israel. It's nearby, and these uh, Ephesian believers were predominantly Gentiles. And he's telling these Gentile believers, now that they are the sons of God, now that they are God's children, they should not live as other Gentiles do. That would be Gentiles who are not God's children. That their life should be different. That they should not be the same as those that were not Christians, those that were not God's children. And we'll see some more specifics on that here shortly. As New Testament saints, we are no longer under the law, the Old Testament law, but that doesn't mean God wants us to just live however we choose to live in the sense that we just live in open sin or live in sin, period. He doesn't want us to live that way. So not being under the Old Testament law does not mean we just live in sin. He deals with that over in uh, Romans 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace be it may abound? What was the response? God forbid. 
So I think that was verse 1 of chapter 6 in Romans. So then we just saw our passage over in Ephesians 2.2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We know who that is, right? The prince of the power of the air. It is Satan. So in time past, we walked according to the course of this world. The way that Satan was leading or guiding it or would have us to walk. The spirit, Satan's a spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We had that same spirit. That's what we were. That's what we used to be. It says, wherein in time past ye walked, past tense. So that would imply that we shouldn't be walking the way we used to walk any longer. There should be a change. There should be a difference. Well, what, is it, what exactly does that look like? Well, it tells us here in our text. The very first thing it says at the end of verse 17, in the vanity of their mind. We should not walk, or they walk, and we should not walk in the vanity of their mind, in our case, in our mind. What is vanity? Well, Webster's 1828, that's my preferred English dictionary. It says it means emptiness. It's a want of substance to satisfy desire, uncertainty, fruitless desire or endeavor, empty pleasure, vain pursuit, idle show, unsubstantial enjoyment. So that is Webster's 1828. Basically, things that have no value, things that are empty. Biblically, I think it more often than not, is, it is dealing with an emptiness, but I think it's an emptiness in the sense that it's a godlessness. That is a, it is a lack of any spiritual, supernatural, eternal emphasis or value. It is empty. So 2 Kings, oh, there's your definition. I put it up on the screen for you. Now that I've already read it, I think everybody heard it at least. So 2 Kings 17, 15, I put the verse right up there for you so you don't have to turn. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So when they were in vanity, when they followed vanity and became vain, how did that manifest itself? Well, they were following the heathen and living the way the heathen were living. Godlessness. That's what it was. It was an emptiness in regards to walking, living, behaving as God would have them behave. Psalm 94, 11, if you want to turn there. I try, mostly what I have up here on the screen are your references so that we can... I know I don't always say them enough or give enough time for folks to realize where they're going. So figure if I put it up on the screen, then you always know what the reference is, unless I forget to change the screen. I'll <laughs> work on this. All right, Psalm 94.11 says, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. Yep. So not only godless thoughts, but carnal thoughts. Thoughts that are that are man, motivated by man's own mind and way of thinking. And we know our thoughts, according to God, he says, I think it's in Isaiah, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. So what's that tell us? Well, that God's thoughts and God's ways are contrary to man's thoughts and man's ways. Um, they're not the same. 
So our thinking can be opposite of God. If we look at Proverbs chapter 22. Now understand when I'm saying that, I'm saying the thoughts of a lost person, someone who doesn't know Christ. And we'll, we'll clarify a little further here in a few moments. Part of what makes the saved person different and have the ability to think differently. And I say ability because there's no guarantee we think differently. Because we still have the old nature. We still have the old man. So there's still the capability to think and act and live as we used to. That's why Ephesians has this in here. That's why Romans has it in there. That's why Colossians deals with it. Corinthians deals with it. New Testament epistle after New Testament epistle deals with us not being like the old man, but living like the new man, because it's still, we're still capable of living like the old man. But we're commanded not to. Proverbs 22, verse 8, He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. Iniquity is sin, doing things that are contrary to God. And when we sow iniquity, we are going to reap vanity. Well, that's the consequence of living in sin. From the wisest man to ever live, actually he wrote that too, uh, Solomon, God calls him the wisest man to ever live. Uh, his life work of learning all that was to learn, he discovered this. Yep, I got it on there. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It's right after Proverbs. I should have told you probably before. Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. Verse number 8 first says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Solomon was out to discover everything he could discover about the world, about life. He wanted to attain all the knowledge that he could possibly attain. And at the end of this book that God had him pen about his journey, that is the sum of his discovery. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. If we look down in 13 and 14, he gets a little bit more thorough. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He's saying, this is what I have discovered, being the wisest man to ever live, and having spent the last so many years studying and trying to, to learn all that I could learn, this is what I come up with for a conclusion. Fear God, keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. He's saying this is man's duty. Fear God, keep his commandments. Verse 14, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. There's a day when God's going to bring it all to light. So our duty, fear God, keep his commandments. All right. What else is walking as the other Gentiles walk? Verse Back in Ephesians 4, the next verse, 18, having the understanding darkened. If we looked at Romans 1, which we won't, um, we will look at Romans 1.31. How about that? Turn over to 1.31. But the whole, most of the chapter could be used to illustrate or to corroborate what is being talked about here in Ephesians 4. 
But if we look at Romans 1 and verse number 31, it says, without understanding. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Having their understanding darkened. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. So this is what's going on with the people that are being addressed or being spoken about in Romans. God is pouring out, in a sense, His wrath on ungodliness. These people who heard about God, knew about God, but didn't believe in God, didn't trust Him, I should say. They believed in God, just like the devils believe, but they rejected Him. They didn't want to keep Him in their minds. They wanted to push Him out and live sinful lives, and eventually God turned them over to their sin. God gave Paul... Uh, now, understand, it would be nice if we could just separate ourselves from them, but God gave Paul a specific ministry, and he expects and, and wants us to, to fulfill the same ministry. Back just a couple pages, probably, from where you are in Acts 26, and verse number 18. This is what God called Paul to do with his preaching. He wanted him to go, oh, verse 17 and 18, it says, delivering the, uh, no, let's just read verse 14 down to verse 18. How's that? It'll, it'll set the, the picture for us a little better, the context. He's giving his testimony. He says, and when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a, man, a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of these, those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people of, and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. He's sending them to the people and the Gentiles. Verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. How are they sanctified? By their faith in Christ. How are they going to be sanctified? Well, somebody's got to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Well, that was the ministry God had, uh, had ordained Paul to fulfill and that he would send him to do. So then it says, being alienated, so they've, they're walking in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. This describes those who are not in Christ. I'm just I'm reiterating that so we understand. This is speaking of other Gentiles walking a certain way because they're not saved. It is the way we are not supposed to walk as Gentiles who are saved. So we're taking this information, we're understanding, we're comparing two different groups of people and two different ways of walking, specifically right now focusing on the way we should not be walking. We shouldn't be walking by, like those who have been alienated or are alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. 
we understand ignorance is not knowing. They're lacking information. They're lacking knowledge. So they're not in Christ because they have not seen, uh, because of what we have already seen in this morning's passage. They've not trusted Him as their personal Savior. They are dead in their trespasses and sins, as it talks about in Ephesians 2. If you turn back to Ephesians chapter 2, we looked at from verse number 1. We'll read several verses down here. It says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. If we've trusted Christ as our personal Savior, we are no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, but we are quickened, the Bible says. Verse, we're going to talk about this this afternoon in our Revelation study, but just quickly, because I think this will give us a little further insight into this. There are two kingdoms in the Bible. There's the kingdom of heaven and there's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is a physical kingdom. kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of heaven has not been set up yet. Now, the king exists. He lives in heaven right now. The subjects exist. That'd be Israel and the, and the Jews that are going to one day rule with Christ on the earth in the physical kingdom. The book of Matthew depicts Christ as the king of the Jews. It begins with a genealogy demonstrating that Christ is from the seed of Abraham through the seed of King David all the way to, to Christ. Why is that important? Well, because a king is typically a king genetically by him that has been given a promise or by him that has been given this position of authority. Well, that is what we see in the beginning of the book of Matthew. So, anyways, we have these two kingdoms. Well, the physical kingdom is one day going to be established on the earth. The spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God, is the kingdom that you and I are a part of and exists right now. How did we become a part of this kingdom? Well, according to John chapter 3, verse number 3, we were born again into the kingdom of God. It says in John 3, 3, uh, I can quote it, but it is escaping me. John chapter 3, verse number 3. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom. So we have to be born again to be a part of the spiritual kingdom. So when we are born again, we become a part of that kingdom. Well, those who are alienated are those who are not a part of either kingdom. The Jews, we learned about this a while back, the Jews had promises, have promises. The Gentiles had nothing. But we have been given a promise because we've trusted Christ as our personal Savior. We were quickened. At that moment, we trusted Christ as our personal Savior. We were quickened. We received life in our spirit, and we received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So now... We are made alive spiritually where we were once dead. And because we're now spiritually alive, God wants to see some things or He wants us to live a certain way because of that. So we'll continue in our Ephesians 2, pick up in verse number 3, among whom also we had 
past tense, our conversation in times past. I don't need to explain that's past tense. In the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Praise God that he is rich in mercy. Because if he were not rich in mercy, we would still be what we used to be. And understand, though we might still live at times like we used to live, we are not what we used to be. We are still God's children. We are still born again. We are still one day going to spend all of eternity with him. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Positionally, we are with Christ, seated in heavenly places. Why is that? Well, I can give you no other reason than to say it is because God is gracious and merciful. Because I do not deserve a position with Christ, but we've been given one because we're His child. And because we've been given one, as we'll see in our Revelation study as time goes on, there is an inheritance for us that one day we will rule and reign with Him for all of eternity. Verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, I'm going to read a couple more in a moment, but verse 8 and 9 talks about it's by grace, through faith, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. If we could earn, if we could work for and earn our salvation and our position with Christ, then what would we do? We would be boastful, not of works, lest any man should boast. We would be boastful, and think that some of us were worthy of a greater position because of our works, and others are not, and we'd be comparing ourselves among ourselves, as the Bible says is not wide, wise. rather. It's not because of what we do, it's because of who He is and the gift that He has given us. And because it's a gift, we do not deserve it, and we have not earned it, so we have no one to thank or praise for what we have but Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's not because of me or anything I've done. It's because of who He is. It's because of how great He is. It's because of how gracious He is and how merciful He is that we have what we have. And we have no one to thank but Him. Amen. Verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I referenced that a couple moments ago. But now, here's our last verse, but now in Christ Jesus... Ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Made nigh what? To Him. And if we continued down through, but we won't for today, if we continued down through, we would see that Christ took two, Israel and Gentile, who were enemies with one another. And can I tell you this? They were both also enemies of God. Because Israel rejected Christ as their king, and the Gentiles reject Christ uh, they have since the beginning of time, essentially. So what did God do? He took both Jew and Gentile, and it says He made 
twain one new flesh. What is that? It's the church. It's the body of Christ. And those who receive Christ as their personal Savior become one and are now the body of Christ. We could have five Jews sitting here today that have trusted Christ as their Savior, and they would be a part of the body of Christ. Um, Brother Ross, uh, we don't support him right now, but the missionary we had a few months ago that's in Israel, he's a missionary to Israel, he calls himself a completed Jew. That's what he refers to himself as, because he's Jewish, but he has trusted Christ as his personal Savior. So he refers to himself as a completed Jew. All right. An ambassador, right. Yep. All right, 1 Peter 1.14, that's right up there, through 16. I guess I'm going to turn there because I don't have through 16 in my, in my notes. 1 Peter 1.14 right? yep, through 16 says this, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. We see a, a pattern here throughout the New Testament. God wants us to live holy, Amen. consecrated lives. All right. What else is a, is a demonstration of how these other Gentiles live that we are not to live? He says, Because of the blindness of their heart. Sometimes our heart gets us into trouble. It certainly did before we were saved, and it is still capable of doing just that now. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, you know, hearts are deceitful. Our hearts will deceive us. They'll lead us astray. How many people have, uh, you don't have to, I'm not asking for raised hands or for anybody's testimony or anything, uh, and it doesn't even have to be you, but maybe you've known somebody who's fallen in love with somebody, their heart has led them into a relationship with somebody that they later came to regret, or maybe became friends with somebody that they later came to regret because that person led them somewhere that they should not have gone. Or how many of us have made a decision because it felt right, but in the long run, it was not God leading us, even though in our heads, or rather in our hearts, we were convinced it was, because we just had a feeling that this is what I'm supposed to do, this is right. But when push came to shove, the feeling was wrong, and it was contrary to what God really wanted us to do, and we found that out as a result of the consequences. So, I say that to say what that verse says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We need to be careful about allowing ourselves to be led by our feelings or by our emotions or by our hearts, if you will. Romans 1.21 uh, I'll just read it out of my notes. Because that when you knew God, when they knew God, sorry, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So they knew God. Did they know Him personally as their Savior? I don't believe so in this passage. 
but they knew who he was. They knew what they needed to know about him to become saved, to get saved, but they had to place their faith and trust in him, but they didn't because when they knew him, they glorified him not as God. Even though they knew him, they did not recognize him for who he was. Neither were thankful. Well, if we know God and we know what he did for us and we believe that it's true, we're thankful, aren't we? We're thankful for what he did, but they weren't thankful. They didn't glorify him as God, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. And that's what God will do. I mean, they darkened their own heart, but we can, God can certainly darken our hearts as well. He did that with Pharaoh. When Moses kept going to Pharaoh with the plagues and telling him to let his people go, several times Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But eventually there was a point where God just hardened his heart for him. He was like, all right, you've had your chances. I'm hardening it now. So what can we do? Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We need to keep our heart. Keep it is to protect it, to monitor it, and we decide. We determine where our heart goes. How do we do that? Well, the best way to do that is with the Word of God. We'll, we'll get to that later too. One thing we know for sure the Holy Spirit will never contradict His Word. And sometimes we use our feelings, our hearts, and we give the Holy Spirit credit for those feelings and our, and our hearts or our emotions. We need to be very careful about that. If we ever think that the Holy Spirit is leading us to do something or prompting us to do something, if it is contradictory to God's Word, then we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is not God. The reason for that is He will never contradict His Word. If God contradicts His own words, that would make Him what? A liar or a hypocrite? If He says one thing and does another? If He says, Thou shalt not commit adultery, and then He leads you to adultery? God just, He lied, right? If He said, Don't do this, and then He leads someone to do it, well, then He's lying. And we know God doesn't lie. The Bible tells us one, something God cannot do is lie. He can't do it. So, uh, and I, I know that's an extreme example, but that's something that people could certainly use to justify those actions. So, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. What is lasciviousness? Well, we'll, we'll address that. First, it says, who being past feeling. They have gone beyond the feelings or understanding or having a conscience that can comprehend what is right and wrong. Before we're saved and even after we're saved, we have a conscience. And the Bible says that God has written it on their hearts, what's right and what's wrong. So we know, even before we're saved, that it's wrong to murder someone. We don't need the Holy Ghost to tell us that. We don't even need the Bible to tell us that. We know it. We know that it's wrong to, uh, to rob a bank. We know it's wrong to do those kinds of things. Why is that? Well, because we have a conscience. It's written on our conscience. Well, 1 Timothy 4.2, uh, if you look over here with me, 1 Timothy 4.2 tells us there is a point where we lose that understanding. 
where we can begin to not have that, or at least people can. I do think it's different for those who are saved because we have the Holy Ghost. But in 1 Timothy 4, verse 2, it says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. What is that? Well, what happens when you get burned? It typically will generate a callus, a scar. And, and it will generally kill those nerve endings. So you don't have the same feeling or the same sen sensation that you once had there. Well, when our conscience is seared with a hot iron... I believe that's referencing that the conscience doesn't function the same way it once did. And people don't recognize right from wrong like they used to. We see that in Romans 1, when God turned them over to a reprobate mind because they rejected Him. We've, re we've referenced the passage a couple of times already this morning. Romans 1, 28, I, know I've, I think I've already read it, and as... Uh, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. That's where the LGBTQ plus movement will tell you, and they have for years said that there is no uh, judgment or condemnation on sodomy and you know whatever you want to call it, homosexuality in the New Testament. Well, Romans 1... This is pretty clear. It says, uh, I'll just read it, if I can find it quickly here. It says, And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. What's that sound like? And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to those things which are not convenient. Well, what about women? Uh, verse 26 said, that was right before the one I just read, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. That's what God refers to that lifestyle. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Well, that came right before it referenced men with men. So it would seem pretty clear God, even in the New Testament, condemns that lifestyle. It is wrong. He calls it vile affections. It's wicked. And God does not, has not made man to have those affections. But when they reject God, He turns them over and lets them live in their, in their vile affections. He doesn't approve of it. He doesn't say it's okay. And he never creates somebody with that lifestyle, but people certainly do choose it. And then God lets them if they continue to reject him. Then it says to work all uncleanness with greediness. This is the result of what we've already seen this morning, of living that other Gentile life. So, verse 20. It says, But ye have not so learned Christ... So we're given evidence of someone who is not saved, someone who has not learned Christ. Verse 21, who has not learned Christ? Well, we're going to see. Verse 21, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So they have heard and been taught 
the truth in Christ and yet have not believed. We read about that in uh, we read about that over in Romans one, that they knew God, and yet they didn't believe or they didn't place their faith in Him. They didn't honor Him as God, glorify Him as God. They were not thankful. Well, in Second Corinthians, just back a yeah, probably a dozen pages or so, half a dozen to a dozen. Second Corinthians thirteen and verse number five. Right here. It says this, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate. That word reprobate, we already talked about a reprobate mind. It means rejected. I put it in my notes here. I don't think I put it on the screen. I should have. Rejected, abandoned to sin, or lost, not saved. So, we can choose, or not a Christian, but a lost person can choose to reject Christ and not live according to faith. Verse 22 says that ye put off, well, how do we know that we are in Christ? Or what is an end evidence? Verse 22, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. What should be seen in somebody who genuinely trusts Christ as their Savior? Well, they should put off the old man and put on the new. Or we haven't got to putting on the new yet, but that's what we should do. There should be an outward change. There should be some difference. Why is that? Well, we've already looked at the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we've been quickened together with Him. What's that mean? Our spirit was dead. God quickened it and brought it to life. We've been indwelt by the Holy Ghost. He is now living in us. And as living in us, what is He doing? Well, He's convicting us of our sin to change us, to clean us up so that we will live the way that God wants us to live. He is teaching us. He'll help us to understand God's Word if we want Him to, if we allow Him to. He's comforting us when we need comfort. Does that mean that we'll never have discomfort? Does that mean we'll never sin? Does that, no, that's not what it means at all. But it does mean that there should be a change. And that change will manifest itself. One way that it will manifest itself is in a battle. Because now we have the spirit and the flesh. Galatians 5 does a good job with it. I don't have it in my notes, but let's turn over to Galatians 5 because I think it's important we see this. Galatians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 16. It says, This I say then, walk in the flesh. I'm sorry, <laughs> just kidding. Walk in the spirit. I did not mean to do that. <laughs> Oh, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. And it goes on to talk about what the, what the works of the flesh are. And then below that it goes on to talk about what the fruit of the Spirit is. But what do we see here? that there is a 
battle. The flesh and the spirit are contrary one to the other, and they are lusting after one another. What is that talking about? It means the flesh wants to trump the spirit, and the spirit wants to trump the flesh. And there's this battle internally going on where our flesh wants to sin, but the spirit is saying no, and there's this struggle. It reminds me of when Christ asked the disciples to pray for him in the Garden of Gethsemane the night he was taken. What did he say with them? Watch and wait and pray. And when they failed, I think it was after the third time, the second time maybe, he said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, the spirit wants to do right, but the flesh is weak. The spirit knows what it ought to do, but the flesh sometimes is just too weak. Back in 2 Corinthians 13, Actually, verse tw chapter 12 first, beginning in verse 19. It says again, Think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as you would not. He's, he's going to clarify a little bit here. Lest there be debates, envyings, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. Unless when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. This is the third time I'm coming to you. So here's what's going on. They are living in open, heinous sins. Uncleanness, fornication, lasciviousness, which is just those, those unnatural affections and wrong desires. So they're living in these sins. And Paul's saying, this is the third time I'm coming to you over this stuff. It's the third time I'm addressing this stuff with you. He continues on, In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time, and being absent now I write to them which heretofore have sinned, and to all other that if I come again I will not spare. I'm not going to go easy on you, church at Corinth. Since ye seek a proof of Christ, Speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. He's saying, church at Corinth, you're asking me to confirm to you that you're Christians. You want me to tell you you're saved, in other words. He's saying, you want me to, to give you confirmation of your salvation. Verse 4, for though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God, for we also are weak in Him, but we shall live with Him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. In other words, he's saying, I can't tell you whether or not you're a Christian. You have to know for yourselves. Why were they having doubts? I believe it's because of the sin in their life. Were they saved? Maybe, maybe not. I can't speak for them. But if they're living in sin as Christians, they certainly could be having doubts because of that. Why? Because they're grieving the Holy Ghost. 
And the Holy Ghost is what? Our comforter. According to 1 John, He's also evidence to us that we're saved. And if we're grieving Him and we're silencing Him in our lives through our sinfulness, well, certainly we're not going to be having the relationship with Him that we ought to have and could certainly cause doubts in our lives. So does that mean if I sin or live in sin for a period of time, I'm not saved? Well, go with me over to Romans 7. I think it's important we look at this passage, even though I know we've looked at it many times. We're going to look at it again because I think it's important. Romans chapter number 7, beginning in verse number 14. This is the Apostle Paul sharing his own testimony of living the Christian life or doing his best to live the Christian life. Verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. That means fleshly, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. He's saying, I do things that I don't allow. For what I would, what I would allow, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Every time I sin and do something that I know I shouldn't, I'm, I'm giving testimony to the fact that the law is good, that I need it to show me what my sins are so that I know I shouldn't be doing this. Verse 17, Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. You know, our spirit cannot sin. If we're saved, when we get saved, our spirit is quickened, our spirit is incapable of sinning, but our flesh still sins. We still sin in our flesh. The old man still sins, though the new man may not be able to. So what he's saying is, when I do sin, it's not me, it's, it's the sin that dwelleth in me. It's my flesh that I'm still carrying around. What's so important about that is understanding that one day the flesh is going to die. And the flesh is going to be resurrected. And the corruptible, it's not just talking about corruptible in the fact that the flesh dies and, and will break down and decompose. It's talking about corruptible in the sense that the flesh sins. That the flesh still does those things that are wrong. The corruptible shall put on incorruption. It will be made like Christ's incorruptible body. One day that's going to happen. But until then, the flesh still sins. Verse 18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. In my flesh I can't find the knowledge of what is good. But in my, but in my spirit it's there. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. In case we didn't get it the first time, he repeats it. It's my flesh, my sinful flesh that still sins. But it's not me. It's not my spirit. It's not the inner man. It's the flesh. Verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. The inward man delights in the law of God. He loves the word of God wants to do the Word of God, but I still have the sin nature as well. I still have my flesh 
That's what Galatians 5 was talking about. The flesh and the spirit are contrary one to the other, lusting after one another. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. He didn't say that I was. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He answers that question. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He's saying, boy, there's this battle. There's this battle raging. In my spirit, I know that I ought to serve God. I know that I ought to obey His law. I know that I ought to fulfill all the commands that He's given me and obey Him. But man, this stinking old man, this stinking, rotten, corruptible flesh that I still carry around, still wants to sin. So, you know, as far as that, what we saw over in Ephesians 4, where it says, But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Does that mean if somebody's a Christian, they have to always live with the old man down? No. What it means is there should at least, at the very least, be a battle. We should be dealing with that spiritual battle in us where the old man and the new man, where the spirit and the flesh are contrary one to the other and they're battling if we never have that battle, but we are just comfortable living in our sin and don't deal with any struggle with that, well, then I think there is a spiritual problem. Could we be seared in our conscience? I don't know. Conscience and the Holy Spirit are two different things. So if we're never dealing with any Holy Spirit conviction, drawing us to live for Him, and can I say this? Sin doesn't have to be some wicked thing that we know is wrong. Sin can be just prayerlessness, not reading our Bibles. If we can have peace, never walking with God, and we are comfortable with that and never convicted about not walking with Him, then there's probably a problem, a spiritual problem. Verse 23, and be, so we put off the old man in verse 23 and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We put off the old, and there should be a renewing. A renewing in the spirit of your mind. What is that? The Lord wants to change the way we think. Our minds should be different than they were before we were saved. Our flesh will not be different, but our mind is to be becoming different. Does it happen overnight? Nope. It's probably going to take a lifelong, it's going to be a lifelong process. Not probably, it is. And we still won't achieve where we really ought to be. But we should be working towards it. There should be a conviction and a desire to do that because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We now have a quickened spirit. According to Ephesians 2, it's been quickened together with Christ. 
There is a unity with our spirit in Christ. So with those things having taken place, there should now be a desire that we didn't have before. Romans 12, 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. Colossians 3.10 says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Psalm 119.9-11, I put that one up there. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. We often quote verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. But that is following up verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Well, how do we take heed according to his word? Well, we've got to know it. So he says, I've hid it in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. And between those two... He says, with my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. The desire was there. Are we going to naturally be like David? No. But we should have a desire to be like David. King David. Not David Peterman. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we all should desire to be like King David. We all should have that desire. Verse 24, the first part says, and that ye put on the new man. We already read it, didn't we? No, we didn't. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. This is our last verse in this text. We are to put on the new man. It's a struggle because when we're saved, even though we're now a new man, we still carry with us the old man. We still have the old man that we are battling with. But we now also have a new man. Romans 6 tells us that we should crucify the old man and live a new life, live, as the, live the resurrected life. It's a daily thing, something we have to work at every single day. It's something that doesn't just happen on its own. It's something we're going to have to continually have to work at. And what's special about this new man? Well, the last part of the verse says, it's created in righteousness and true holiness. After God, it says... New man which after God, there we go, is created in righteousness and true holiness. It's not a human nature, it's a godly nature that we didn't have but we now do have. I'd encourage us, though it's difficult and it's hard, God wants us to live the Christian life in such a way that we both look different but that we are different. He doesn't want us to fake it. He wants it to be who we are. He wants us to become who He has called us to be. Well, how does He do that? Well, first He saved us. He quickened us. He indwelt us. He's given us His Word. He's given us all the tools, but we have to yield to the Spirit and not resist or quench the Spirit. If we want to be Christ-like, it can only be accomplished in His power, through His Word, and through His Spirit. That's what I have for today. We'll go ahead and close in a word of prayer. We'll have a moment of invitation, and then we'll dismiss for lunch. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for today.
Thank you for the folks who've been here this morning. I know we're missing some today, and I just pray you be with them. But Lord, I pray that your word has fallen on good ground. I pray that we would be convicted by it. And Lord, you know each one of us. You know our hearts. You know our spirits. You know our minds. You know whether or not we're in the faith, as we saw in 2 Corinthians 13. And maybe there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior. If that's the case, then Lord, I pray you convict their heart and make it clear to them. And if not, Lord, I pray that all of us who are Christians would recognize and be honest with you and honest with ourselves, myself included, that we have work to do. Well, we could ask ourselves this question, maybe over the last week, how consistently have we put on the new man? Has it been 50-50? 75-25? Lord, we know that we all at times yield to the old man. We give in to the flesh. But I pray, Father, that those times would be fewer as we mature spiritually. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to live our lives on this earth predominantly having put on the new man so that we can glorify you, honor you, please you, magnify you, and ultimately accomplish your will with our lives. Before we close the prayer this morning, is there anyone that would slip up their hand and say, Pastor, I know I'm not a Christian. I know I'm not saved. I'm not in the faith. But I want to be. I want to know that I'm saved. I want to get it settled and know that one day when I breathe my last breath and I enter eternity, it will be with God and not apart from Him. If you're here today and that's you, would you just slip up your hand? How about Christians? You don't have to raise your hand or anything like that, but maybe we would ask ourselves that question. What percentage of my life the last week has been lived having put on the new man? Just go to the Lord in prayer. Give folks a few minutes to pray as the piano plays, and I'll close this out in a couple minutes.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I know this passage of Scripture may have proved to be convicting. I know it has been in my life, studying and preparing to preach today. And Lord, the reality is, as Christians, we know we're supposed to be different. We know you've called us to be different, to be set apart. Lord, the way to do that is to put on the new man, to crucify the old man, the flesh, and to live our life as the new man. But we also know that there's a daily battle between those two and that we don't always succeed in living as the new man. But Father, I pray that with your help, with the help of the Holy Ghost and your word, I pray that you'd help us to live more consistently, more faithfully, more honestly, putting on the new man and putting off the old. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. We know that you are always faithful. I pray that you'd help us to be faithful to you. Lord, I pray that you'd bless each one who's been here today, be with those that are away sick, and help them, Lord, to be able to be in church soon. And those who couldn't be here for other reasons, same thing, Lord. I pray you'd be with them, help them, and I pray we'd see them soon. Father, we just pray you bless the food to our bodies, bless the fellowship. We love you and praise you and thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen.